0: Well, good morning. Good to see everybody's shiny, smiley faces today. Glad to be back after a couple of weeks away. And I want to say thanks to uh, Brad for filling in a couple weeks ago and listening to his message. Uh, online, and uh, it was really good. Let him know about that. And then Pastor Dave was here last week, and I know that I listened to his message as well. Uh, so he didn't teach anything heretical, so I was happy about that. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. And so, uh, anyway, uh, it was a good couple of weeks, but uh, Kim and I are so glad to be back. Um, you know we talk about it often uh, with the group that comes in and sets everything up and we gather and we pray in the morning and stuff and, and honestly it just it just feels like home you know uh, the people here you all feel like home to us and so we love uh, being here with you so today um, we are starting into a new life in the Bible that we are talking about you know uh, which is strange because I started, Joseph, last time I spoke, and now we're starting Paul <laughs> today. So I don't know. Joseph's life just flew by, and now we're in Paul's life, and uh, it's going to be uh, really good. So, great lives from God's word. Um, week one of Paul, I don't know what week it is in the series. We're going until like, I think we're adding a couple of weeks onto it too, because um, we have a spe- couple of special things uh, coming up. And so we're going to pick up Paul in a few weeks. Next week is Serve the City, right? The following week, uh, we're going to have a speaker in Newburgh who we're going to try to pipe through here onto a screen that we will all watch together. He's uh, a missionary um, and uh, a friend of Pastor Dave's, and so uh, that'll be uh, something unique and different. And then we'll pick back up with Paul uh, his last two weeks after that. So... Now you know a little bit about where we're going in the next few weeks. And so, again, we're talking about Paul today. Now, most of us probably know a little something about uh, the Apostle Paul, right? Something. I mean, honestly, e- even if you uh, don't know much about the Bible, you probably know and have heard the name the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, he wrote about half of the letters that form the New Testament canon in which we have in Scripture. Scripture. Um, and uh, prior to being confronted by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 uh, on his way to Damascus, he was a devout Jew, very devout, a young Pharisee on his way to becoming uh, one of the great influences in among the religious leaders and among uh, the Pharisees. He was becoming a big deal, and, uh, and so that's what we kind of read about him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, Acts 21, 39, and also in Acts chapter 22, 3, we see that Paul was from a town named Tarsus, right? He comes from this town named Tarsus, which was, uh, in his words, a city of no insignificance, right? It was an important city. Um, You know, it wasn't some, uh, you know, Nazareth or Bethlehem like Jesus came from, right? Like, Tarsus was a big deal, uh, it was a learning center. If you go and you could do some reading about it, uh, it was a learning center of the world at the time, uh, very diverse in culture and in commerce. And so, uh, it was a, in fact, it was the place I read that uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra first met in 41 B.C., uh, so a little interesting piece of history. Uh, Tarsus would be found today in what is present-day Turkey. Uh, It was around 10 to 12 miles off of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, which of course made it uh, a popular place for trade and commerce and that type of thing uh, for people coming from the uh, Far East or the Orient as it was known uh, at the time, right? City of Tarsus lies at the base of a mountain range that kind of cradles it, you know, within it, and that's the Taurus mountain range, uh, which would protect it and act as kind of a protection, uh, a natural protection for the city. Uh, in Paul's day, it was made the capital over the Roman province of Cilicia, and the Jews there received Roman citizenship. So uh, there's an author named John Pollock, and he wrote a book called The Apostle, Uh, A Life of Paul, and it was really about his early life and his education, and so I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here from it. Paul's parents were Pharisees, members of the party most fervent in Jewish nationalism and strict in obedience to the law of Moses. They sought to guard their offspring against contamination. Friendships with Gentile children were discouraged, Uh, Greek ideas were despised, and though Paul from infancy could speak Greek, which was kind of the language uh, of that day, uh, he had a working knowledge of Latin, and his family at home would have spoke Aramaic, which uh, is the language of Judea, a derivative of Hebrew. They looked to Jerusalem as Islam looks to Mecca. Their privileges for free men of Tarsus and Roman citizens were nothing to the high honor of being Israelites, the people of promise, to whom alone the living God had revealed His glory and His plans. By the 13th birthday, Paul had mastered Jewish history, the poetry of the Psalms, and the majestic literature of the prophets. His ear had been trained to the very pitch of accuracy and a swift brain like his could retain what he heard instantly as instantly and faithfully as a modern photographic mind retains the printed page he was ready for higher education we talked a little bit about this uh, a few months back uh, the whole idea of the rabbi and all the jewish Uh, children learning from an early age and how they would do that. Uh, And so he would have certainly learned those things. But then at that age, beyond 13, he would have uh, left there. And we know uh, that he was trained in Jerusalem after that uh, at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a well-respected rabbi with a rich pedigree of a family, right? So, he had a great lineage, this Gamaliel, who was a, um, a really important rabbi and teacher in Jerusalem under that time. So, uh, under Gam- uh, Gamaliel, Paul learned to dissect the texts of Scripture, debate the finer points of the texts, and also would have learned to prosecute and defend those who broke the sacred law. So, in fact, he would have been a lawyer as well, basically, uh, of, the, of his time and his place. <clears throat> so, you know, obviously, you, you hear his background and his uh, education from childhood, and what you see is that he was on his way to being a pretty important guy among the Pharisees and the religious leaders, right? All that to say, he cared deeply about keeping the law and was zealous to see that others kept it too right? He cared deeply about people following the law and doing those things. Anybody who broke from that, man, he had a real problem with, and he was zealous for other people to keep the law. Uh, and, and in fact, that's where we first find Saul in Acts chapters 7 and 8 when he uh, appears on the scene. In Acts chapter 7, we see a man named Stephen, right? Everybody heard of Stephen? Are you guys awake with me today? You're not talking back, and I... I I find that problematic, okay? So, talk back to me. It's okay at the appropriate times. Talk back to me. So, we find a man named Stephen. Anybody heard of him? Okay, yeah, there you go. And uh, who, as Scripture describes, was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Man, that is a way to be remembered, right? And uh, that's in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. We see also he's a man full of God's grace and power is what it says in Acts chapter six, verse eight. So Stephen was one of the men chosen, if you remember, to oversee the food distribution program that the apostles were like, we just can't do everything, so we don't have time to do it all. Let's find some people who are well-respected and who we can trust to put uh, over this food program. And so uh, Stephen was among those that were chosen for that uh, responsibility. And so then what Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 6 is that some Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria and Cilicia began to speak falsely against Stephen. But again, the Scriptures state, and they tell us, it tells us here that they could not stand up against his wisdom and against the spirit by whom he spoke. Now, that's an important thing. Stephen didn't merely have human wisdom, okay? He didn't just have human wisdom to be able to share and, boy, that just, you know, knocked everybody back and it was just incredible. Like, yes, he was wise, but that's not it. Uh, He spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit, so his speech that he gave uh, would have, uh, that actually uh, caused him to be put to death, but Uh, in Acts chapter 7, it wasn't just him venting to them, right? It wasn't just him venting to the Sanhedrin and to all the people who had gathered there, this crowd. He didn't just vent to them, be like, all right, you know, if you're going to come against me, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. Like, that wasn't it. But it was Spirit-led, and we have to know that. And it was a very pointed speech and very much Spirit-led. And so, when you and I as believers speak, we might, and it would be good to have human knowledge and insight and all of those things, study, you know, learn, do those things. Like, we should have that plentiful, but true wisdom is found in submission to and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. You know, um, until a few months ago, I really didn't know too much about a man named Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, because in Pentecostal circles, most of the time you don't read his stuff. Okay, and just to be honest, but uh, but I read uh, I read a book from uh, that was about his life, and so I actually subscribed to this podcast uh, that plays his his uh, sermons. And he was born in 1899 and he died in 1981. And he pastored the Westminster uh, Chapel in London, England for a number of years. Um, and I started listening to his messages uh, online, and, uh, and I listened to one a couple days ago called The Authority of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the statement that stood out to me uh, the most was this. And and He's not for everyone, okay? So, like, if you're looking to be entertained by a message, don't go listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones, okay? Literally, he starts out every message. I hear the same thing because he's from, he's Welsh, but he pastored in London, and this is how he starts off. He says, uh, uh, what was it? that? uh, It's the same every time. It's like... um, oh man, I can't remember, but it, it, it's it's this, it really, in, like, he's got a super thick accent, you know, he's like, I would like to turn your attention to, you know, this type of thing, and then he would give the, you know, so he just goes right into it, and he's like, no fluff, no nothing, he's not telling any stories, like, that's it, you know, so, uh, but anyway, so, so he, uh, he had this message called The Authority of the Holy Spirit, and I listened to it, and I was like, I wonder what he's going to say about it, because he's not, he, he's a little bit more reformed in his theology and stuff, and if you know what that is, great. If you don't, you can talk to me later, but but, uh, but the statement that stood out to me was this. It said, there is only one power that has, uh, that has always defended the faith, and that is the power of the Holy Ghost authenticating it, And we can have all of the knowledge in the world and share all of the information in the world and still not have any power. And I can get up here every week and and share with you tons of stuff that I've read and studied and learned, but here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit isn't authenticating the message, then it's without power and it's just head knowledge. And so we have to understand that. Ultimately, no amount of head knowledge or apologetic debating can be enough to change a human heart. Those things are good and fine, but only the Holy Spirit authenticating and giving power to our teaching and our conversations with those who we know in our lives, only that can reach a heart and change a life, and we have to know that today. That's what we see with Stephen, and it was a big deal. So, so we see that with Stephen's speech, and he didn't just get up there and say, You stiff-necked people! You know, he didn't do that, though he did say that. <laughs> but that's not what, he, you know, it wasn't like that he let off with that or anything. Uh, so, you know, he, he was stoned to death because of his speech, uh, to the council and that group who had gathered when he started talking and talking about how he, you know, heard from he saw God, and all of so a sudden they're like, no, you know, they rip their clothes and they take him out and they, they uh, stone him. And, uh, and so uh, his death, it's interesting if you've ever read through this, his death, uh, his death mimics that of Jesus on the cross. Have you ever read that uh, in, in many ways? He asked, jesus to receive his spirit as they were stoning him to death and then also he prayed that this sin wouldn't be held against those people who put him to death and murdered him man that is pretty amazing a street preacher was once heckled by a passerby when the man yelled back to him he said why didn't god do anything for stephen when he was killed And the street preacher answered, God did do something for Stephen. He gave him the grace to forgive his murderers and to pray for them. So, something for us to think about, right? How true is it? Jesus prayed for those who put him to death, just as Stephen did, uh, and gave grace in the same way. As Stephen was killed, there was a young religious zealot that we read about, and his name is Saul, right? And he was nearby, and he was affirming and agreeing with what was happening as they were stoning him to death. And so then we come to chapter 8, and we're going to read Acts 8, 1 through 3. Acts 8, 1 through 3, I have it here in the NLT. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So we see Saul, and he's consenting and affirming uh, Stephen's death. He agrees completely with it, right? It, it makes him happy, joyous inside to see this follower of the way put to death. And uh, and so the word here that's used in many translations "agreed completely." Uh, it's a Greek word, and it means to approve of, and but not only to approve of; it means to applaud. So <laughs> he's standing by, applauding what's going on and the killing of this uh follower of jesus and so with him applauding it with great pleasure he was a zealous persecutor uh, but not thinking of himself as such at the in the moment right he wasn't thinking of himself as a zealous persecutor but rather he thought that he was serving god he thought this was good and right and he was serving god and he was doing it with a clear conscience that's what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.3, that he did it with a clear conscience because he thought he was doing God's will, right? Next, we see uh, that there was, uh, at the center of this great wave of persecution, that's where Saul was, and it swept over the entire church in Jerusalem. And it says, uh, it says that they were scattered, right? All the believers from Ju- Jerusalem were scattered. Now, where were they scattered to? What did, I just read it, actually, so it's not that hard. Where were they scattered to? Specifically, Judea and Samaria, right? Uh, which is very uh, interesting because, um, does that sound familiar to anybody? Right, well, where, where do we find that in Scripture? I, you can talk back to me now. In the Great Commission, right? In the Great Commission. You're going to be my witnesses Where? in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then Carleton, Oregon, right? The the ends of the earth from there. And uh, so it's very interesting. They scattered uh, about, and here's this great persecution at hand. And yet Jesus had already told the believers and the followers that they would be his witnesses in these areas. Now, they probably thought, hey, we're going to go out and this will be our choice to to go to these places and be a witness, But in fact, there was great persecution that forced them out into these other places to be his witness, right? And so it was no accident in God's providential plan, even if it meant hardship for his people in the moment, right? Even if it meant hardship for his people in the moment, God's, I I say this a lot and I I hope we all get it, like God thinks beyond weeks and months and years, right? That's how we think. That's how we think. We're thinking weeks, months, years, right? If something takes years, it's taken forever, right? Something takes months, we have a hard time with it. And sometimes, if it takes weeks, we're struggling with it, right? And yet, God thinks generations ahead. And so, even if the people had to be in a struggle for the moment, they were scattered out for God's larger plan to be fulfilled. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind if we're walking through difficulties and hardships, uh, to, think, to keep in mind that God's plan is greater than us in this very one little moment. We might struggle, we might have a struggle in front of us, we might walk through difficulties, but at the end of the day, he's thinking generations and we can trust that his providential plan is greater than our momentary struggle, amen? Are you with me? All right, so they were scattered like salt from a salt shaker out around the area to spread the gospel message to those around. And frankly, no Jew would choose to go to Samaria, right? Right, Brad? No Jew would choose to go to Samaria. They're like, Samaria, like the Samaritan people were a mixed breed of people and they didn't like that at all right, when the Assyrians took over uh, the northern kingdom, they uh, took the Jews out and threw Gentiles down there and on purpose put Gentiles down there. And so there was this mixed race of people which became the Sumerians and the full-bred Jews were like, we don't want anything to do with these people. And so nobody would go there on purpose as a Jew, but, you know, this persecution shoved them up in there and they did what they do anywhere, which was spread the message, right? So Saul was a great persecutor in it all, and uh, some translations read that he was wreaking havoc. Anybody's translation have that? He was wreaking havoc, right, on the church in every town that he came. Uh, The NLT I just read says to destroy the church, but his aim was this. He was going to put an end to the people who were followers of the way. Now, followers of the way were just Christians before they were known as Christians, right? And so this is how they were known, people people of the way. And uh, the picture here in this wreaking havoc is Saul was like a wild animal ripping apart his prey. That's the picture. So when you think he was just, oh, come on, put your hands behind your back, you know, or whatever, that's not it at all, right? That's not it. And so he was wreaking havoc. And that, the, the word there actually uh, is a picture of an animal mangling his prey. And uh, so that's what he was doing. It wasn't pretty right? He dragged them to prison, but in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 22, as he reflected back on his pre-Jesus time and life, he said he even persecuted them unto death. So we know it wasn't just putting them in prison for their faith, but he wanted them dead. He wanted to exterminate the church. He was a man on a mission to destroy what he thought was rotten, right? uh almost like a a zealous terrorist might be today of some sort and so you know today just understand we might say we might read this and say there's no hope for that guy right the pre-acts chapter 9 uh Saul we might say boy there's no hope for that guy uh and and we could all understand why we would say that right like he's a persecutor of Jesus's followers but the grace of God amen Saul, eager to kill the Lord's followers, set out to find as many as he could and bring them back to Jerusalem. And so uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 is what we'll read next here. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and his, was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so he's all—he's ready, willing, and able. He's got the correct papers to go and take care of this. And he's zealously looking forward to it, right? He's happy about it. He wants this. and And if you don't know... Uh Damascus is over a hundred miles away from Jerusalem. So it's not like he's going five miles away to gather people. He's literally like, I want to go around the area. I want to gather as many as I can. I want to stamp this out and put an end to it. So he's over a hundred miles away from Jerusalem to bring them back, to arrest them, bring them back, get them in prison, try them, and hopefully put them to death. And so Acts chapter 9, uh, 3 through 19 We'll go on from here. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be, uh, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas." When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, and the Lord Jesus, who appeared to to you on on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So Saul wasn't just persecuting the church, right? Jesus shows up to him and says, you are persecute. Why are you persecuting who? Me, he says, right? Why are you persecuting, persecuting me? And so Uh, by his actions, that's exactly what Saul was doing. Though he thought he was serving God through his actions, he was really persecuting God through his actions. He was fighting against God. His conversion experience on the road to Damascus is without a doubt one of the most important texts in the book of Acts, right? Out of the entire expansion and the history of the early church, there's a lot of focus put on this one man's story, his spotlight on him, that he's God's instrument that no Jew saw coming, right? And in fact, uh, you know, uh, bringing a message that no Jew saw coming either. It was a message of hope through Jesus. To the Gentile world, viewed by most of the Jews as dogs. That's how they saw Gentiles, right? As dogs and unworthy. And so a man who persecuted, imprisoned, killed, and zealously opposed Jesus and his followers now is redeemed for the purpose of spreading that same message uh, rather than trying to stomp it out. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody, except for God, right? In his providential plan, God had this laid out and knew all along this was going to be his instrument that he was going to use. And Saul himself, uh, uh, you know, well, here's the deal. It took time for the believers to warm up to him, right? Could you imagine, Ananias, like, really? Like, I got to go over there and lay hands on Saul, this dude who's been killing people and throwing people in prison and wants to put, you know, stomp out uh, our faith in, you know, and so here he is, and so he does it anyway. But, you know, Saul himself, and, and understand this, Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul was his Roman name. So, you know, that's the difference uh, between both of those. And, uh, you know, he would be one to experience deeply the grace of God and would not take it lightly either. In fact, later he would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, He said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, And that's in the NIV. He wrote of grace, uh, oftentimes, if you read Paul's letters to the churches, he wrote of grace many times throughout Scripture in the New Testament. And we can read them. Uh, you can go and read them all today. I can't read them all today because we just don't have time. Uh, but, you know, it, it, Paul experienced this grace to the deepest level, right? He, he knew it was far beyond what he deserved from God. In fact, he knew he deserved punishment and wrath, and yet he was shown grace and mercy. He was a living example of God's goodness and grace to men and women. And he knew uh, this is not from hearing it from others, right? He, he knew this grace, not because he heard it from other people talking about it, but he had experienced it personally to the greatest degree. He goes on to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. Now, if Paul writes that, we should probably listen to it and figure it's a trustworthy saying, right? He says, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. This is what he says. I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. That's the NLT uh, That's that translation. Listen, we're all saved in the same way, by God's grace alone, through Christ Jesus alone. There's no other way. And those who recognize just how much they've been forgiven uh, of tend to forgive more readily, right? Those who understand how much they've been forgiven of, they give and forgive very readily, Paul knew he was, he was in bad shape. His past uh, had condemned him, right? Like there's, his actions had condemned him, and he knew it. He, I was the worst of all sinners, he calls himself. But those who recognize how much grace they've received from God tend to give grace to others more readily, too. And today, the good news is that the offer still stands and that God's saving grace is still given to those who repent and believe and persevere in the faith until seeing Jesus face to face. No one is beyond God's reach, guys. No one is beyond God's reach. And so, uh, Joel, if you could come up here. You know, nobody is beyond God's reach. You know, we can look, we could read Paul's pre Acts 19 uh, life and think that dude is never going to be saved. And I don't know about you. Maybe in your own life you can think, there's some people that I know in my mind right now that I can think about and think, those people, there's no hope for them. Maybe you're sitting there thinking that right now of that person. And I just want to tell you, nobody is beyond God's reach. You might have written somebody off, but let me just tell you right now, God has not written that person off. And frankly, you might be the one voice that's in their life that He's going to use to change their life, right? So who is it that you might need to pray for or share the gospel with who is it that you need to forgive today or give grace to today? Maybe there's somebody in your life you've been holding, forgi- withholding forgiveness from or not uh, giving grace to for one reason or another. Maybe they hurt you bad. Maybe they uh, did something that cut you to the core. But I would say maybe today is the day you need to think about forgiving that person and showing grace to that person. That's right. Lord, we do give you Praise today, uh, you are worthy. You truly are worthy, God. We wanna, we wanna give you our praise in every way today, God. Uh, through singing and song, and study of your word, and through really uh, the submission to your Holy Spirit today, God. Uh, in our relationships with each other, and uh, how we treat each other, how we care for each other, we want that to be uh, reflective of. Our worship of you because it all is worship and so god we are uh, grateful to you today lord pray that if there's anybody here that is walking far from you god that you would draw them to yourself draw them to the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and the way to uh, eternal salvation and eternal life uh, where you know uh, where our eternal destination and uh, is changed completely. Our position is changed completely from death to life, from dark uh, darkness to light. And so, God, I would pray that today you would draw people to yourself and, and all of us, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and minds, Lord. Direct us, uh, teach us through your word. And as we listen uh, in your Holy Spirit, God, we know that that we can learn and, and, uh, and hear from your spirit who live in each of us as believers. And so we're grateful for that today, God. And so go with us this week, Lord, even as we leave here and, uh, and go home and go back to uh, this week, whatever it is that we face this week, God, each and every person in here, that's different. But we would ask that you would guide us and lead us by your Holy Spirit, that we would be people who are in the Word and, uh, and listening, reading your Word and listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we pray these things this morning. We're grateful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newbert. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today, and God bless you as you pursue Him.